Good morning, church. Can we give the Lord a hand? It's great to see all you beautiful faces out there, and especially those in Edgewood that are joining us. Uh, today, as we continue our series, Hindsight is 2020, we are preparing to wrap it up next week. Uh, we will wrap up this series, and in two weeks from now, we're going to kick off our Christmas series, crazy as it is, uh, with a series called Behold, as we look intently at some of the truth of God's Word. Um, today, as we uh, continue in this series, we're going to be looking at uh, creatures that are small, but incredibly wise. And as we look at our last creature in Proverbs chapter 30, 28, it reminds me of a creature who uh, perseveres, um, that continues to, to move forward. And when I think about perseverance, I think about a man uh, that at age 21 started his first business and it failed miserably. Uh, by the time uh, he was um, 22, uh, he was uh, ran for, for legislature and uh, he failed miserably, was not voted in. Uh, by the age of 23, uh, 24, he decided that he was going to uh, start a new business. Uh, the first one failed miserably, but hey, why not give it a go again? And it failed miserably. Uh, by the age of 25, he thought, hey, I'll run for uh, legislature again. And uh, he was elected at, in the legislature. Uh, but at age 26, uh, his sweetheart died. Uh, he went into um, kind of a, a depression of sorts, very deep and dark time, had a mental breakdown uh, at the age of 27, and uh, it seemed like all of his political hopes and dreams were dashed. Uh, at the age of 29, he decided he was going to run for speaker, uh, was not elected. At the age of 31, decided he would run for the electorate, did not get in, uh, was defeated. Uh, at the age of 34, thought, hey, I'll run for Congress, uh, again, failed miserably. Um, at the age of 37, hey, I'll run for Congress again because the first uh, attempt didn't work. He was elected to Congress at age 37. After going through Congress uh, for a couple of years, he thought, hey, I'll go for Congress again. Why not hold my seat? Elected at age of 39 uh, or 37, defeated at the age of 39. Ran for Senate seven years later at the age of 46 and was defeated. Uh, ran for Vice President at the age of 47, defeated. Uh, ran for Senate again at the age of 49, defeated. By the age of 51, we actually voted him in as the 16th president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. How many of y'all got that right? You knew where we were tracking, okay? Hey, for all of you brilliant scholars out there, um, hey, I want to give you just an air high five today. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, a man of perseverance, a man who would always continue on. Uh, it's exactly what this creature that we're going to study today reminds me of. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30. We're going to read verses 24 through 28 because we've been studying a handful of small creatures over the last uh, month or so. And as we read those, hopefully we're reminded of the truths that we have learned over the last handful of weeks. But today, I want to look at verse 28. And so let's jump in on Proverbs chapter 30, verses 24 to 28. If you don't have your Bible, hey, we're going to put it for you up on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, we want to give you one on both campuses. So if you'll go to our connection point, uh, ask one of our serve team members, anybody else that goes to church here, hey, where our connection point is. And the Wills Point campus is to your right through the double doors, my left. And we'll hook you up with the Bible today so you can read one and have it for just your own daily reading purposes. Proverbs 30, verse 24 says, Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. And the lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. Today, we're going to look at verse 28, so I'm going to put it for you up on the screen just by itself. It just simply says, The lizard you can take in your hands, Yet it is in king's palaces. A small little creature, 
in the size of the palm of your hand, and yet it finds itself in noble places. The question, though, is, is are we talking about a lizard? Matter of fact, if you were to study this word a little bit more closely, it appears in the King James Version, and this is what it says. It says that the spider taketh hold with her hands, and it is in king's palaces. So if you look at the original language, which is Hebrew here, uh, you've got this word, which is called semi-meath. It's found one time in our Bible, and it has nothing to do with uh, necessarily a lizard or a spider, but it, in some ways uh, gives way in the, the original language to that of a poisoning, meaning this, whatever this little creature is can, can let off poison. Uh, is kind of the idea. And so people go, well, maybe that was a spider. Oh, no, later on, people would interpret it and say, well, maybe, maybe it's not the spider, maybe it's a lizard. Who knows what it is? And so scholars have debated for ages and eons as to what it is. Uh, for those of you that read uh, your King James Bible, um, you believed it was good enough for Jesus, so it's good enough for you. Um, if you didn't get that, you, you realize the King James Version wasn't around when Jesus was, okay? So everything in Jesus' time was Greek, right? Uh, and so it wasn't around until the 1500s. So what we need to know is, is that it doesn't matter if you interpret the King James or NASB or the ESV that we're reading today. Scholars have debated about this. They don't know uh, as to what it was written, okay? Here's what I would say. In this particular case... It doesn't matter. And the reason why is because both of these creatures are incredibly small, which is Agur's point, and they find themselves in king's palaces. And the reason they find themselves in king's palaces is because of what they were created to do. So let's think about the spider. When you think about a spider, oftentimes spiders are not seen. Matter of fact, in the type of building that we're in right now, uh, you can probably realize there's probably spiders that are crawling amongst us right now, maybe even in our rafters, um, possibly even in our walls. I remember when Stone Point first started, uh, this is just a metal building, didn't look anything like this. Uh, I remember actually teaching messages and spiders actually crawling up the wall behind us. It was so ghetto, okay? If you were here with us in the, the early days, you're like, I remember that. It happened, literally, crawl across the screen. Uh, and so, uh, Man, isn't it, isn't it awesome, the, the humble beginnings God has brought us from? Amen. Um, but I remember those days. But here it is, this, this small spider. When you think about them, you, you don't pay them a whole lot of attention unless you're, you're scared of them. And so maybe uh, you have a phobia, a ragnophobia of spiders that you're like, oh, I hate all spiders. And it doesn't matter what types. Then you're like, I want, want them gone. But for the most part, most people don't even think about spiders. And yet what they do day in and day out is they toil and they labor and they do what they're created to do. And with pinpoint precision and detail, they spin their webs over and over and over again. Oftentimes, in order to have their, their webs literally just knocked down or for something else to pummel through it. Uh, maybe you've been walking through the woods and you've walked right through a spider web and didn't even notice. And it was grabbed to your face. And, and you're like, oh, how inconvenient. But have you ever thought about that poor spider? I got to build it again. And what they do day in and day out, they build and build and build. They toil and they labor. They're geometrically perfect in what they do. And here's what's interesting about the spider is that even though they're, they're rarely seen, they're never applauded for their work. They just do what they were created to do. And yet, what if we learn from them with intent? What if we just toiled and labored and did what we were created to do? 
And we didn't have to have the necessary praise or the applause that so many of us long for. What if we didn't have to be patted on the back? Or what, what, if, what if we weren't frustrated all the time because people didn't notice what we did for our company or for our church or for our family? And how oftentimes we struggle with that. Like we'll do something, we'll toil and labor, but it's oftentimes because we want to be doted over. But for the spider, they're rarely seen. They're rarely noticed, but yet they never shrink back from their responsibility. They just do what they're created to do. So maybe you're here and you're like, hey, maybe that wasn't, maybe it's not a spider. Maybe it's a lizard. Okay, same with a lizard. The lizards are a little different. They're, they're still a, a feeble, small little creature. They're more energetic than a spider because they are quick and they're nimble and they, they go from place to place rather swiftly. But isn't it awesome that you think about a spider and how they can climb walls, but even they could find themselves on the ceiling of a palace upside down. And yet it is, they're so small, they could find themselves in, in mighty places. Isn't it awesome that you could see them really climb the highest cliffs and with great agility, they uh, continue to, to move forward. They toil, they're skillful at what they do, and yet they move forward. See, it doesn't matter if it's a spider or, or if, if it's a lizard. And what really matters is that you realize this feeble, small little creature is exceedingly wise because it does what it's called to do. Which then brings the question, well, what is it that you and I are called to do? And maybe you ask that question, like, what am I doing with life? And maybe you wonder, like, why am I here? Like, what is my purpose? What, what am I to do? And maybe you oftentimes find yourself grappling with the idea that you're in the wrong place, or maybe you're in the wrong vocation, or maybe this isn't what your fit is. And here's what I would just tell you, is that I'm not sure that what you're created to do centers around a vocation or a particular place that you work. I'm not sure that if you grab that final dream job, that that's really what you're created to do. See, as believers, we are called a new creation. That means that our old lives have passed away. It's what Paul says to the church of Thessalonica, and the new life has come. And because we're a new creation, I think we also have a new purpose in which only when we're fulfilling that purpose can we really understand that our toil and our labor is not in vain. The only time that we can understand that our toil and our labor doesn't have to be applauded is when we realize who we toil and labor for and that one day it will be recognized. Which is why I come back to this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I was reading a handful of weeks ago as we've been studying 1 Timothy as a church. And in verse 15, Paul uh, writes these words to his buddy Timothy and he's writing in respect um, to the fact that he wants to see uh, the church in Ephesus and he wants to see Timothy. But he goes, hey, if I'm delayed, don't let that stop you from living out your purpose. And this is what his purpose is in verse 15. Look what he says. He goes, but in case I'm delayed, I write so that you know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. And as I was thinking about that, it, it kind of led me on a segue that day and, and really the next couple of days of just thinking about what pillars are. And as I studied that, even in ancient times, if you go to Rome or other places today in the Middle East, oftentimes their architecture doesn't remain, but their pillars do. It's incredible that the pillars were uh, built on footings and those footings were meant to be a foundational rock or a stone, a bedrock that those those supports would remain today. And oftentimes you go and you look at a Colosseum and a lot of the Colosseum's not there, but you look at the pillars and they're there. The pillars are what remain and the pillars are the rock of the church. 
And you might like say, well, I don't really think I'm a pillar. And I would say, well, the goal is that you would become a pillar. And the way we become a pillar or a buttress of truth is to realize that what God is calling us to, that God is calling you and I to be his ambassadors or our, as Paul would say to the, the church of, um, of Corinth, he would say uh, that he's calling us to be ministers of reconciliation. As we're ministers of reconciliation, that means that we're not to be lazy or slothful, but we are to uh, not shrink back from our duties. Even though we can be largely unnoticed, we are to push forward for the work of the gospel. Which brings me to this first really idea or point. As I think about the, uh, the lizard or I think about the spider, I think about them not shrinking back from responsibilities. Your primary responsibility as a new creation in Christ and as a pillar and a buttress of the truth is to be persistent in sharing the gospel. To be persistent in sharing the gospel. That means that everything you do, everything I do when the sun comes up revolves around this idea of sharing the good news of God's truth. Everything. I mean, in our parenting, we, we ought to be thinking foundationally, even as we wake our kids up and we prepare them breakfast and we try to get them out the door, we get their backpacks and, oh my goodness, one of them forgot. And no, no, they all forgot. And then they forgot their mask. And not only did they forget that, they forgot their water. And all of a sudden, like we have this level of frustration already as we've just started our day and we've just forgotten that, you know what? Really, none of those things have to do with eternity. Like if our kids forgot their mask or they forgot their water or they forgot their backpack, I'm pretty sure that the day is going to go on and I'm pretty sure that nothing is going to be lost. But hey, do we, create, do we create some tension oftentimes in our home because we major on minors? Guys, think about this. Do you ever major on a minor that when you come to a major that you should major on, like you just really lose, lose control? And I think oftentimes we forget that we should be persistent in sharing the gospel in all things. That means that even when things aren't going our way, we ought to be persistent in sharing the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news. It is what we share with others because God changed our lives. Because he made us a new creation and a minister of reconciliation. We are to reconcile our friends who are broken and confused and are lost, distorted in the truth, to the hope of the God of truth. And so we have many reasons to do that. Paul writes to Timothy um, in 2 Timothy 2, 4 and 2. He says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. He goes, whatever you do, when you toil, you will not do it in vain if you are prepared to teach the gospel. Preach the gospel in all that you do. Uh, Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 15. He goes, But honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that you have in you. Meaning, when people see something different about you, be prepared to give them the reason there is something different about you. Point them to Jesus Christ and the gospel, the good news, right? That's our goal. Titus says this way, or Paul, as he writes to Titus in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, he says, He must be devoted to the trustworthy message that we teach, uh, speaking of leaders in the church. Then he can use these accurate teachings to encourage people and correct them who oppose the word. So what do we do? We are presenting the gospel and we're using God's word to instruct people towards lives of godliness. That is our purpose. We are pillars and buttresses of the truth. Paul makes a great point to the church of Rome in Romans chapter 10. And he asked the question, hey, how are people uh, to call on the, the God of the Bible or Jesus Christ if they've never heard of him? 
And how are they to believe in that sense? And so this is what he says in verse 14. How will they call on him who they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him if they've never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. My question is, if hindsight is 2020 and we are to look back on the craziest year of our lifetime, what have you done with it? Have you preached the gospel? Like, will you look back on 2020 and you will see that in all the calamity and all the chaos and all the striving and all the contentiousness, have you looked back and will people say about you, man, he or he uh, and his family or she maximized the gospel in this year? Or are you going to get lumped into some of the other things? See, the spider toils and labors even though there are obstacles. The lizard continues to go about gallivanting all along the way with great vigor and great strength, even though oftentimes they are challenged. Small and feeble, yet incredibly wise, they find themselves in notable and high places, even though they're oftentimes not noticed. See, I think the challenge for us is that we... Um, have become very discontent in our society, even as believers. I think a lot of us have become lazy and slothful. I think a lot of us have shrinked back in declaring the truth in a season like this. I think a lot of us have become dull, drowsy, humdrum people who will not climb mountains of difficulty because you are too weak and feeble and scared. And yet it is us who are continued um, to grow forward in, in Christ. And yet we won't grow for, forward because we are looking around and we are complaining and criticizing every single other thing around us. And listen, you would say, well, I don't think I complain that much. Listen, some of you are gonna prove that this afternoon when you watch the Cowboys, that you're a complainer and a criticizer. <laughs> and if it's not the Cowboys, it'll be another team that you like. But we criticize everything. I mean, think about it for just a second, okay? Um, I come from a line of coaches um, in my family, I am friends with coaches. Do you know one of the reasons I don't like to attend high school football games and I don't like to sit in stands? If you ever see me outside of the, the season of 2020, I never sit in the stands, ever, if I can avoid it. You know why? Because of people I go to church with. You criticize, you complain, you grumble, you're mean, you're hateful. You say malicious things to your brother and you forget that his wife sits right down the road from you. See, we have become a culture of critical thinkers. And not when I say critical thinkers, I don't mean in a positive critical thinking type of way that we teach our children to be, but I'm talking about a critical thinker that everything we do and think is critical. And what's so crazy is how malicious we can be. We'll sit on a row and sing with our coach on Sunday, but we'll cuss him on a Friday. Friends, the reason I even say all of that is simply to say this. Here's what you and I need to know. Is that the spider has no need or time to complain because they toil and labor at their work, just as a lizard does. And if you're going to be a spider or a lizard, you toil at your work, and your work is to share the gospel. If you're sharing the gospel, you have no time to complain. So when you are complaining, do you know what you are not doing? You're not sharing the gospel. Think about that for just a second, the implication of that. When you catch yourself grumbling, complaining, as Paul says, hey, be careful not to grumble and complain. What you are doing is you are detracting from the very hope that we have in Christ. 
Peter says, be prepared to give a hope for the answer you have in Christ. How do you give hope when you're known as the constant complainer, gossiper, slanderer, or anything else that does not resemble the good news of the gospel? Friends, what have we become as the church? James says it so intently in James chapter three. He goes, hey, how is it that the tongue, this small, powerful object sets floors to blaze? It's like a ship's rudder that turns a big ship, even though it's small. But then he says something interesting. How is it that in one hand, we praise God with our lips, yet we curse men with the same ones? Isn't that the challenge? So here's the deal. If we were to think about the gospel, we're to toil and labor and strive after that. Here's what you need to know. God's purpose for you is not found in your workplace as much as the message that you proclaim in your workplace. It's not about if you pour concrete, it's about who you tell people about while you're pouring concrete. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a coach or a pastor or if you you happen to... uh, cut hair. It doesn't matter what you do. Wherever you find yourself, do it for the glory of God and do it with excellence. Toil and labor and strive and share the good news of the gospel. Here's what I'll tell you. If you're criticizing, it means you have your eyes on someone other than the king of the gospel. Why don't we want to go to our churches today? Because we go to church with a bunch of hypocrites. You ever heard that? Pastor, I don't want to come to Stone Point because there's a lot of hypocrites. I know people that go there and they do other things. And I go, hey, listen, I love you, but you're not telling me anything new. Like this has been happening for centuries. (laughs) Centuries. Well, did you know that they do that? No, I don't need to know that. You know why I don't need to know that? It's because that's why our church exists. It's a place where people can find hope and healing. And it's a place where we can proclaim the good news. And do you think that I'm foolish enough to presume that everybody that's sitting in our seats on a Sunday knows and walks and follows Jesus closely? Because that, is that what I think, is that what you think? No, I don't believe that. So I believe there are people here, even in this moment, that we are not proclaiming the good news as well as we should. And we ought to be more persistent in sharing the gospel. Wherever it is the Lord puts you, intently share away. Here's the deal. You put your hands to your plow and you'll have little time to criticize anybody else as they plow. Think about that. And then catch yourself this afternoon when you're grumbling and complaining. Probably not about the Cowboys, but about the Texans or something like that. And hey, just go, hey, Lord, would you teach me? Like, just teach me, right? Why? Because you think about the lizard. I mean, they toil and their labor and they strive and they do what they're created to do. But hey, think about it this way. They toil and labor and strive and they do what they do. But could you imagine to find yourself into a, a, a woman's home in which she has a broom and you'd be a little spider or a lizard, and she'd chase you out of the way, that every time she sees you build one of those nice little um, beautiful uh, laced uh, webs that she just wipes it right away. Like, could you, could you be frustrated by that? Could you, could you be frustrated as a spider or lizard as you're walking along the play, playground and you come across a little six-year-old who plucks your legs off <laughs> or holds you upside down as a lizard and your tail falls off? And then he just kind of chuckles, go, how to regrow? <laughs> uh, could you imagine the, the, the difficult times that, that they oftentimes have? Could you imagine being a spider, a bird creeping along the ground and having no adversary in the world and all of a sudden a bird sweeps out of the sky and eats you? Like, could you imagine like the perseverance that it would take? Like not only to, to be uh, something that's to toil and labor and do your thing, but to do it with perseverance. 
See, that's why I love the story of Abraham Lincoln. I love the story of perseverance in that way that even though you're knocked down, you get back up. Could you imagine being these small little wise creatures that they're knocked down, but they get back up if they have the opportunity? They continue to toil and labor and do their thing, even though they oftentimes will run across persecution. Friends, that I think is the story of the believer in Christ. Even though we run across persecution, we are to toil and labor and to strive. Even though life is difficult, and even though we have challenges, we are to toil and labor and strive. Paul writes this way, the church of Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 and following. He says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, meaning the hope of the gospel. He goes to show that we that the, 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 the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our own bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So Paul says to this church, he goes, hey, listen, we have the gospel. Toil, labor, strive, press forward in perseverance for the gospel, knowing that it is in the gospel that you and I have hope. It is in the gospel that we're able to strive ahead, even though we're knocked down. Even though you're persecuted, just remind yourself that you're not going to be destroyed. Remind yourself that even though there are enemies out there and they say vile and malicious things for you, that your identity and your security is not wrapped up in your opposition, but in the one who's called you in a new life in Christ. Friends, how many of us struggle with those who oppose us and we forget that there is one who is on our side and he is our heavenly father and he has called us and ushered us into a kingdom that will never spoil, fade away, and that will always stand. What an incredible hope. But how oftentimes do we not push forward because we get knocked down? See, the, the, the reality is, is that we are to be like the, the lizard or we are to be like the spider, even though they toil and labor and they find themselves at the end of a broom sweeping them out of the way, that they are to come right back up and they are to rebuild and they are to keep pressing forward. Friends, what's it look like if you and I pressed forward even though life is hard? even though there's challenges, even though there's adversity. Friends, I'll tell you, one of the misconceptions I think happens oftentimes in the American church is that the American church is somehow convoluted and wrapped up into the American dream. That because you're a follower of Christ, that, that everything should, should happen at your beck and call. That in some ways, because you've put your faith in Christ, that life should be easy that you, that you in some ways, uh, because of the power of Jesus' name, that you, you can just kind of roll over all adversity. And listen, I don't think that's clear with Scripture. Do I believe that there is absolutely power in Jesus' name? Yes. Is his name above every other name? Yes. Will every knee bow and every tongue confess at his name? Absolutely. But the question that I have is this. If you have enough faith in Jesus, is everything in life healed? And I think it's something you have to wrestle with. And the reason why you have to wrestle with this is because of a scripture like this. Consider this scripture and then we'll come back. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says after, uh, he goes, I don't want to become conceited. And so, so I don't become conceited. And I don't, in a sense, elevate myself as supreme. He goes, the Lord has given me um, kind of an adversary. And he goes, and it's really what you would be deemed as 
a thorn in the flesh. And then verse eight, this is what he says. He goes, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. That is the thorn, whatever it is. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And here's what Paul says. He goes, look, I walk by faith and not by sight, and I trust in the greatest name there is. But he goes, I also know that sometimes the Lord delights in suffering, and sometimes he does his greatest work when people suffer for the cause of Christ. That means that there are times when people get sick and they have a disease and by faith, they trust God that even though there's no healing that comes on this side of heaven, they continue to press on for the sake of the gospel and they preserve and they persevere for the gospel. And it's an incredible sight when somebody who suffers well does it for the gospel. The challenge is they got friends on the other side, like Job's friend who say, look, if you have enough faith in Jesus' name, he'll prevail. And the question is, is does God prevail every time? And the answer is no. And the reason he doesn't prevail every time is because sometimes his, his strength is made perfect in your weakness. So here's what my point is, is that there are a handful of idioms that go around that I think we have to think about real quickly. As we're toiling and labor and we're learning from the spider to the lizard, I think we gotta be real careful. The number one thing is, does God possess the absolutely healing power over all things? Yes. Sickness, disease, um, anything in life, absolutely. Can he heal a blind boy? Yes. Can he heal a lame man by faith? Yes. But do you know that God's primary goal in your life is not to, feel, to heal your physical ailment, but to heal your spiritual one? And if, if he has to leave your physical ailment in order for you to come to know him by faith spiritually, then by all means, he'll do that. He can do all things by his authority. But what I will tell you is physical healings and supernatural things are not the normative expressions that we that we always see. Sometimes God allows us to see hardships and trials and suffering so that we will toil and labor and know where our hope is found. But could you imagine if Paul, the apostle, the one who's written a good majority of the New Testament, if he's suffering and he's pleaded with the Lord and he continues to press on with this thorn in his flesh, although we don't know who it is, and one of his good buddies said, hey, don't worry, man. God gives his strongest battles to his strongest soldiers. What do you think Paul would have said? Really? Because Paul says, no, I don't think so. He goes, I think God is bringing me low. He's making me weak in order that he may be strong. Which then brings up the question, will God ever give you, hey, be careful how you answer this. Don't shout it out because you might not be right. Will God ever give you more than you can handle? And for some of you, you go, no, God will never give you more than you can handle. And I will just tell you, yes, he will. He will absolutely give you more than you can handle. But here's the promise. He will never give you more than he can handle. He'll never give you more than he can handle. He will bring you low. You will go through adversity. You will go through hardships, persecutions, famines, nakedness, peril, or sword. You could lose your life. You could lose your family member. But one thing you will not lose is a heavenly father who loves you, has given himself for you by his son, and who has an eternal home for you. Press on, my friends. 
Toil and labor like the spider. Keep building, keep growing, keep climbing. Be quick, be studious, be intent like the lizard. Keep moving forward. Why? Life's hard. 2020, in hindsight, you look back, and I don't know of another word for it other than it just stinks. But it doesn't change who we are and what we're called to do. And so here's our hope. Even though we persevere through the gospel, here's what you need to know. You prevail in the gospel. You prevail in the gospel. Now, when I think about prevailing in the gospel, here's what I want you to realize. We persevere in this life by the gospel, but we, per- we prevail in the gospel. Paul writes, he says, hey, you're going to be um, like treasures and jars of clay. You're going to be um, afflicted in every way, but you're going to be crushed. He goes, you're going to be perplexed, but not despaired. Persecuted, but not dis- uh, forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. But look what he says. He goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look what he says in verse 16 and 18. And this is for you and I today. Here's what he says. So we do not lose heart Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. What he goes is, even though you are affected by a virus and your mortal body could give way, he goes, it doesn't change what God's doing in you day by day. And then he says these words, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So he goes, you are gonna have trials and you're gonna suffer in this life, But he says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He goes, look for what God's doing in the midst of your circumstances that will last forever. Quit toiling and laboring over useless things like your kid's backpack or a mask or water that you're trying to get out the door. And just remind yourself that God has something else for you that day to declare, which is the good news of the gospel in spite of your hardship that you will live in the gospel and that you will persevere through the gospel. Keep sharing the good news. You're gonna have a hard life. Get ready for it, but you prevail in the gospel, meaning you don't lose hope. Why? Because Jesus says these words in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus goes, I got it. I got it. In the midst of 2020, he goes, I got it. And I don't know about you, but I can forget that. Like, I just kind of forget that. I kind of get bogged down in it. And I have friends here that you get bogged down in it too. And here's the thing. Over the, over the course of the last six to eight months, I'm like, it's kind of changed. It's kind of like ebbs and flows in some ways. I mean, at first it's like, hey, um, is this virus real? No, it's a scam in Washington. And then we just become highly critical We say a lot of malicious things and we lose hope in the gospel. And instead of persevering in the gospel and sharing the good news, we kind of get bogged down in things that don't make a difference. And then, hey, it moves from there to now they're going to make us wear a mask. I don't want to wear a mask. And then we kind of lose sight of authority and whose authority and who's our ultimate authority. And then we begin at at kind of the craziest time. And in my lifetime, friends are no longer friends and family members don't even hang out anymore. And they're like, I'm not going to see you at Thanksgiving. Okay, that's fine. And then all this crazy stuff. And then on top of that, you add an election cycle. An election cycle that right now still hasn't been called, although a lot of people are like, no, it's, look, it's clear. It's obvious. Here's the way, the way we're going. And then there's this, this debate now. And there's worry and there's striving. And there's all these things that we just in the middle of forget. That as we grumble, as we complain, as we say a lot of malicious things, We forget who really is king. And we forget 
that though small and feeble, and though they toil and labor in the midst of their suffering, the spider and the lizard find themselves in a king's palace. Friends, why is it that if you and I are going to live in a king's palace, that we spend so much time worrying about something that doesn't even resemble a palace, which is called the world? The world that we live in today does not look anything like a king's palace. Matter of fact, it looks like a place that's destitute for a bunch of people that don't know what they're doing. And it's called, it's called planet Earth. And what's crazy is, is that God was mindful of us anyway to call us out of this earth, which is actually under the authority of the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan. And he's plucked us out and said, I'm going to make you mine. Set your eyes on things above, not on earthly things. And friends, I don't know about you, but we struggle, don't we? And I pray that if we look back at 2020, which is merely just six to seven weeks away, I pray that the year is not known for what all of our friends make it known for, which is potentially the biggest political election in our history, mask, the coronavirus, and um, lack of unity in our country. Maybe we should make this the year that Christ is known, that in the midst of it, whether we get a disease or we don't, that he's still in charge. That whether we have a president we like or don't like that's in charge, that it doesn't matter because we have a king who's an authority over them all. Praise the Lord. And, and hey, whether I wear a mask or you wear a mask, I don't care. I'll prefer you all day long. You want me to wear a mask? I'll wear a mask. Doesn't matter. You know why? Because masks aren't the issue. You know what the issue is? Hard, rebellious hearts. All the time, all day long, every time. You bring up criticism, grumbling and complaining, and here's what I would say. I doubt you're abiding in God's word today. Let me say it one more time. I doubt you're abiding in God's word today. Because as I study God's word intently every morning, I don't walk away and go, you know what, I think I'm going to try to be a jerk to my wife today. I don't think, you know what, I'm going to go and be the best American patriot I can. You know what I do? I go, I'm going to be a bondservant of Christ. And I'm going to live a peaceful, quiet life, dignified in every way for my Savior. And I'm going to go throughout the day, best I can, as Paul encourages us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 Timothy 2. And Peter encourages us in 1 Peter chapter 3 to live a peaceful, quiet lives among the pagans so that when they see our good deeds, they would glorify God in the day of visitation. So in essence, what do I want to do? I want to be a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Criticize me. I want to turn to my king and say, Lord, thank you that in my struggle and my hardship and my persecution that you are strong on my behalf. God, I'm weak and I'm feeble and I want to retaliate. God, would you help me? God, I want to say some really hurtful things because they hurt me deeply. God, would you help me? God, I don't see the issues like they see the issues. God, would you give me wisdom? Would you help me to understand their position? And would you help me love them nonetheless, even though I don't think we're even in the same book, let alone the same page? But God, would you help me? May we be his people. Learn from the spider. Or for those of you that are not a King James fan, you go learn from the lizard. I don't care. Learn from either one. Persevere. Prevail for God and the gospel. He's blessed us with such good news. Friends, don't lose the most valuable commodity that God has ever given you, which is hope 
because of the hopelessness that you read or you see on TV. That's foolishness. And I don't know about you. Ager says, the ant is wise. The lizard is wise. The rock badger is wise. The locust is wise. You know why they're wise? Because they keep their eyes on what they're called to do. You want to be a fool? Do what you think's best in your own eyes. Never works out, and it always leads to death. Friends, I want to pray for you, uh, but as we pray, we're going to do something a little different today. Uh, we're going to close with a prayer of serenity, which is just allowing God to lead us in peace. And uh, this is a prayer that we often pray uh, at Regeneration on Monday nights, and we close by reciting it together, and we're going to do that today. For some of you, you're like, oh, it's going to be a little awkward or weird, and, and already that critical nature is coming up in you. You're like, oh, I don't want to do this. Okay, that's fine. You already need to know, like, that's, that's not from God. That's from you in your flesh. But as we pray this, all we're asking is that God would just help us to be mindful of this earth and our heavenly kingdom. We pray this at Regeneration on Monday nights, as I mentioned. But hey, here's the deal. Regeneration is a 12-step recovery pro- uh, program that allows you to find peace and hope in Christ and the scriptures. If you're, if you're here and you go, hey, my, my life is, is just not right. And you look back over the course of the last 12 months and you go, hey, look, I, I just know I'm not right. I know that I'm easily agitated. I know that I criticize and complain over everything. Um, I know that there's some sin that's kind of hidden in my life. Hey, listen, can I tell you that, that regeneration is a great place for you? And it's a great place for you to come. And look, you don't have to struggle with alcohol, alcoholism or, or drug abuse because look at me, we all are wired differently and we all have things that we struggle with. And so can I just tell you that in the past, I've struggled with pornography. I've struggled with pride and people pleasing. One of the things that God's recently revealed to me is just selfishness. I'm just selfish. Um, I, I like things my way. I can be controlling. That means you could lead to manipulation in order to get your control. And so look, don't we all need God's help? And so if you're here and you're like, hey, that kind of that speaks to me. Hey, I'd love to see you tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. I'll be here too. And I uh, think it would be a great place for you to come. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we're going to close in the serenity prayer. We do that by just saying these words together. I'll lead us. And once we say amen, we're going to check out a video. And then we're going to close on both campuses to have a great week of worship. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things that I can. And wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking, as he did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Church, check this out.